Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us for Good Friday, wherever you are today. Hey, I don't know if you're like me, but every once in a while, I get sucked into the vortex of hitting the search wheel in Instagram. I don't know if this happens to you, I can imagine many of you can relate. You hit the little magnifying glass and you get sucked into the vortex of video upon video. And this happens to me often, I know wise people try and kind of stay away from this, but every once in a while I'll hit it. And it's just so interesting because I think somehow Instagram knows me. There's probably somebody on a computer in Silicon Valley or there's gotta be, I'm sure there's an algorithm that really pinpoints who I am. There's two particular subgroups for me. One is sports. I hit that thing and I'm all of a sudden watching memes on sports and highlights and even guys on their back deck doing hockey drills. And you may think that's lame, but this is just kind of my life. The second for me, is kind of the evangelical subculture. Somehow as a pastor, Instagram knows me and kind of knows that I need those one minute pastor clips. You know, you flip through those one minute pastor clips, giving me my daily dose of encouragement. So interesting. And it's kind of just funny some of the things that I see and I hear on the interwebs and in Instagram. You know, the other week I saw a guy, he looked dead into the camera, like looked right at me and basically declared over everybody that was watching that we were all going to have a large and, an, and an, a large and an expansive life. And kind of sounds good, right? I mean, it sounds kind of heartwarming. It's kind of nice to hear. I mean, this was combined in the same week with other videos declaring that God has a plan for me, that I'm going to be an influencer for Jesus someday, and of course, I'm made for more. And here's the thing. Uh, there's actually truth in these statements. There's actually a ton of truth in these statements. But what's often missed is what we reflect on as the Christian community today. Today's Good Friday. Sometimes I hear these kind of pop Christian pop evangelical statements, and I kind of wonder how we reconcile it with a day like today. A day where we look at betrayal and execution, right? Let's just be honest. Thanks for hitting play. And death. And, you know, one of the things I think we wrestle through is just the tension that we feel to want to get to the end of the story. See, the easy thing would be to kind of pass by today. You know, it's Friday, the death stuff. Let's kind of get by that stuff and let's get to the happy clappy, the fun stuff. Let's get to resurrection. But that's actually not, that's not how this works. And it may be hard for some of you, especially if you've been around the Jesus story for a while, because you know the end of the story, it may be hard not to actually rush by today. It got me thinking this week, it's so funny, you know, with everybody cooped up at home and, and stuck in their homes uh, because of this quarantine, uh, it's been interesting just to watch what's now on TV because there's no live sports anymore. And so TSN and Sportsnet have been playing old series from past, like legendary series, playoff series and different things from the past. And so they've been playing the Raptors games from last year leading up to their championship. And just the other night, they had game six of the 1992 World Series on TV. So I watched, and there's a couple things you need to know about the 1992 World Series. First, it was the Jays' first World Series that they won. Many of you know that. You probably know where you were standing on, in 1992, if some of you that are at least 30 years and older, in 1992, 1993 when they won. And in 1992, I was nine years old, and I was probably the biggest Jays fan on the planet. 
And so they had this game on, and I was such a huge fan that even after those 90, even after 1992 and 1993 in those World Series, my parents actually got me VHS tapes of the documentaries from the 1992 and 93 World Series. And as a kid, I I wore them out like all summer long watching these videos. You probably remember where you were when Joe Carter stepped up in game six. The Jays were down by a run. It looked like it was going to go to game seven against the Phillies. He gets up, he hits the home run. Tom Cheek yells over the radio, touch them all, Joe. The nostalgia brings back memories. It's so good. And I would just watch these VHS tapes on demand, literally. Now, what's interesting about these is I actually knew the end of the story. I knew that Mike Timlin was gonna throw the ball in and he, uh, and he was gonna pick up the ball after it was bunted and throw it to Joe Carter. I knew in game six in 1993 that Joe Carter was gonna get up and hit the home run and yet I still immersed myself in the entire story. I was drawn in to actually remember. And I think that actually says something for us today on a day like Good Friday. You know, with the immediacy to kind of rush by things and get to resurrection, I think, I think we got to lean into this. You know, one of the questions could be, why would we talk about crucifixion when we know that resurrection is coming? And it's because just like as I watched those VHS tapes, I was drawn into a story. The Christian community on Good Friday and throughout this whole week of Passion Week is drawn in to participate in this particular story. We're drawn in to reflect and to play our part. If we just went on how the story ended, we, would just, we wouldn't even be doing this today. We would get to Sunday into the happy stuff. But here's the thing, the cross is actually the central part of the story. There was actually a cost of getting to resurrection and we cannot just kind of rush by this. One of the things we're called to as the Christian community is to be drawn in and reflect on the entire story. Most of us know this. Every good story has three particular dynamics to it. One, there's orientation where things are good and right. Typically in a good story, two, there's disorientation where things go wrong. Maybe there's a case that needs to be solved. Maybe something has happened that needs to be repaired. And then three, ultimately every good story usually ends with reorientation. You have orientation, disorientation, things go wrong, and then reorientation. You know, it's interesting, I was in grade 12 and I was a part of a class called Creative Writing. And for our year-end assignment, we had to write a short story. And the goal was we were gonna write this short story and then we're gonna pass it around to our classmates to evaluate. And so I wrote a story at the end of the year about a guy, I'm not sure his name, it was probably Drew in my head, who met a girl, got together with her, got married after high school, had a baby, and lived happily ever after with absolutely no problems. Totally realistic, right? And so we passed these stories around the class to evaluate. And it was just interesting. Every classmate basically wrote back, hey, Drew, this was pretty well written, but this is completely unrealistic. Why? Because every good story has disorientation. Every story has disorientation that leads to reorientation. And I just want to remind us that the story of God is no different. It starts with orientation. God flourishing with humans in shalom and peace in the cool of the day in the garden. But it quickly moves to disorientation. Humanity walks away from God and goes their own direction. And now you know this. We live in a world with injustice and pain. 
sickness, obviously we know this, viruses, dirty politics, bad leadership, country music. I, di I digress, right? The story of God is deeply embedded in disorientation, and yet there's this hope of reorientation through Jesus. The promise of reorientation is that God is actually going to come and to rule and he's going to reign forever. He's going to wipe away injustice, every tear and pain, every longing and desire for him, and he's going to actually establish his kingdom here. So many people often ask me, why would you give your life to Jesus and the church? It's because of the story. It's the telos of the story. It's because Jesus is on a mission to bring reorientation. But as we talk about this, we have to talk about disorientation. And this isn't fun, but let's take a minute and talk about human sin and brokenness. I know you're just so happy you turned this on. Now listen, if you don't buy it, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't buy it, that's fine. I totally get it. I'll just say this though. I would encourage you through all of this though, just to slow down and to look at the world right now, right? So I'm not doom and gloom, but one of the questions is, how are things going for us in this moment, right? That's one of the questions I've been asking. Just look around. How are things going? You know, the last few weeks have shown us that as humans, we are just mere mortal. We are, I, I feel this every day as I wake up with my four kids and stay at home for another day in the fess apocalypse, right? I feel this. We're just mortal, you know, just a few weeks ago, it was almost laughable that this virus was even dangerous, and now it's turned the world upside down. So I just ask you to open your eyes. It doesn't make, it really doesn't take much to see that something is off kilter in our world, and I would just actually ask you to lean in on that. So sin and brokenness, how do we deal with this? Do we deal with it on our own? What do we do? You know, there's a picture in the Old Testament of how Israel, God's people who were called out to be love and light to the world, how they dealt with sin and brokenness. It may seem a little odd, especially as we've evolved as people over, over the years, but the way in which they dealt in the Old Testament with sin and brokenness was through this thing called animal sacrifice. I know it's kind of gnarly, but an animal's life actually became a substitute, an atonement. Uh, atonement simply means to cover someone's death. This animal covered the death of the people, of the community. This was actually a practice of God's people in the Old Testament. It was something that they did almost daily in the temple. The high priest would do and the priest would do in the temple. And obviously once a year on Yom Kippur, an animal was sacrificed for the sins of the people. In that day, blood was a symbol of cleaning or cleansing. It was a symbol of life and purification. This is what it meant. So an animal was regularly sacrificed as an atonement for the entire community. And this is the practice that they kind of engaged in under God's law. Now, some of you are probably thinking, okay, cool. Uh, some of you are probably thinking, that's not cool at all. You're vegan or whatever. You're just like, that's horrible. But, you know, I think we can reconcile that in our minds. But, you know, we don't do that anymore. Why don't we do that anymore? Maybe some of you are asking. Well, I'm so glad you asked because we need to think through this. Why don't we do this kind of and type of animal sacrifice anymore? Is it because we've evolved or is there a better story at hand? Well, from what I see in the Old Testament, something was happening. You know, the prophets of old foresaw a day when sin and brokenness would be dealt with once and for all. They had this vision that sin, would, sin, brokenness, humanity, sin and brokenness would be dealt with through a great atonement, through, through a simple act. You know, Isaiah, 
who was on the scene years, hundreds of years before Jesus of Nazareth, saw someone coming as the sacrifice for all of humanity. And as in Isaiah 53, he says this, He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one whom... Uh, like one whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, did Isaiah, in that time and place and space, know that this one he's even writing about would be Jesus of Nazareth? Probably not, right? He probably didn't know that it was going to be Jesus. He knew something was coming. But here's the thing. Do we know that it was Jesus of Nazareth? Absolutely we do. We're actually on the right side of history on this one. Because as Isaiah wrote about this hundreds and hundreds of years ago, we know that this is what he's speaking of here is Jesus of Nazareth. We know that Jesus suffered and died, offering himself as an atonement, as, as, as one that would cover our death, that his blood would be something that actually purifies us. This is actually a picture of what love is. I just want to remind us on Good Friday that God's not angry. He's not looking for retribution. He's not going after anybody. He's actually doing this, this act of giving of himself through Jesus as an act of love. Notice what Isaiah says again. Listen to the turn in what he was writing here in Isaiah 53. You know, it says, we considered him punished by God. Humans considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But, and this is a massive but here, right? But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds were healed. Humans fashion in their mind that maybe God's out to get, him, get Jesus or this one that would come as the Messiah and be crushed. But actually, it's quite the opposite. This is an act of love, of self-giving love by the Father to give of himself. Actually, the New Testament picks up on this. There's a guy named John, and we don't know if this is the disciple John or if this is the elder John. We're just not quite sure because of how long ago it was written. But listen to what he says and how he reflects on Jesus' death after his death. He says this in 1 John 4.10, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And listen to what John says, And sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. It's crazy. It's so interesting here that John connects the concept of atonement not with God's wrath or trying to get back at somebody or retribution. He connects atonement with what? God's love. This is what love is. This is what true love is. God is showing us through Jesus self-sacrifice and going to the cross for us. Now, this may sound ridiculous to you. And I honestly, I kind of get it. I understand if you're like, man, this just this whole story of a cross and a Roman cross sounds kind of crazy. The cross was always despicable in Roman culture. It was the most horrendous form of execution in that time and probably in the known world. It was it was horrible, and it was really humili uh, humiliating in many ways. Fleming Rutledge, a great writer and pastor, she says this, No one in history of human imagination had conceived of such a thing as the worship as a of a crucified man. 
to worship a crucified man in that culture, and even today, is just, it's upside down. That is, that is a little weird. And yet, for Christians, this is where the power of God is actually displayed. The power of God is displayed in death. That victory actually comes through today. That's why we can't just rush by. Victory comes through death. It's incredible. Now, it's interesting. When you look at it, palm branches were a symbol of the revolution. You know, we celebrated Jesus on Sunday coming into the city of Jerusalem. and People were waving branches and laying them down. It was actually a sign and symbol of the revolution. The colt was a sign of victory and royalty. So you get these pictures. But it's kind of interesting, isn't it, that neither palm branches nor the cult ever became central symbols of the Christian faith, right? What became the central thing of the Christian faith? Well, you know this. It's the cross. It's the cross. The cross is the thing that is central to us because it's how God brought victory. And I just want to remind us that the revolution and the victory of God result not from going after his enemies, but from self-giving, self-sacrificial love. The cross is the beauty that saves the world.